So what's the story behind the time you were the most exhausted? If you're meeting with your growth group this week, you can actually share your story because we don't have time to go around the entire room. But since I have the microphone, I'll share mine. It was back in the summer of 2000. I think I've mentioned to you before, I spent a summer out in Alaska working at a fish cannery, fish processing plant. Lots of fun, lots of fun. And I was out there with a buddy. We were kind of there together uh, working the summer job there. And some weeks would be really busy. Other weeks would be really light. It just kind of depends on the season. But I will always remember one day in particular. It was a normal working day. We got there in the morning, worked all throughout the day. And as evening rolled around, we discovered that most of the workers had gone, but we were still there. So we continued to work and work, and there were just things that needed to be done, so we just kept working, kept working, and before you know it, it was three, four o'clock in the morning, and a truck came in, and we had to help unload and ice the fish and get them ready for the next day, and before you know it, it is 4.30, and we came to this realization. If we didn't take off more than an hour, the entire next day would count as overtime. So we devised this plan. We said, okay, we're going to clock out, We're going to quick run home, grab a bite to eat, uh, change our clothes, because, you know, (laughs) fish processing, change our clothes, and then we'll take maybe a 15, 20-minute nap, and then we'll come back and get just all over time for the entire next day. And so we went home, changed, got some warm food, fell asleep for about three or four hours. (laughs) And we woke up, and we were just like, we can't go back. And so we just fell back asleep for a while, and then finally rolled around uh, came out of bed at around noon and decided to show up. Now, one thing that I didn't tell you is that at about three in the morning or four in the morning, when that truckload came in with fish, I totally made a mistake. We're supposed to weigh the fish, then put ice, weigh the fish, then put ice. You know, we're supposed to go in this order. Well, I was putting ice along with the fish, which made the entire thing heavier than it should have been. And I kind of got reprimanded, but it was three or four in the morning. And so they kind of understood he's not thinking clearly. And that's one of the things about exhaustion. Exhaustion, when it sets in, you're just not who you normally are. You make mistakes. You're more susceptible to weaknesses. In fact, as a parent, one thing I've learned is that when the kids are really tired and overtired, your expectations for good behavior kind of go down. And as it turns out, exhaustion is something that God is very aware of. And he is so aware of exhaustion that he actually worked a resolution for it into the way he created this world. And before we get into that, I just want to mention for you that there are a lot of different ways that exhaustion can present itself. We're aware of the physical exhaustion where you just can't go any further because you're so tired, you don't have any energy. But there's also physical or mental exhaustion. Maybe you were breaking a mental sweat so much that you just didn't have any more ability. And you had a deadline, you had three more pages to write, you had another hundred pages to read, you, you had this studying to do, but you just couldn't do anymore. You were mentally exhausted. There's also emotional exhaustion. If you're having to connect with someone through sympathy or empathy, if, if you're speaking with people all day long, if, if you're connected with people, and maybe you know the feeling, if you're, especially if you're introverted, you, you just kind of feel worn out. 
You can be emotionally exhausted. You can also be spiritually exhausted. And by spiritual, I mean the root of your beliefs, like the core beliefs that shape who you are. When you're spiritually exhausted, your behavior begins to conflict with what you believe. Exhaustion can take a number of forms, but God is deeply interested in giving us a version of rest, a kind of rest that overcomes it. So the goal for today is I want to show you from Scripture what real rest looks like. It's so much better than a nap. It's so much better than just a day off. In fact, we're going to see that really rest isn't about getting away. Rest is about something you bring to every day. And today we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20 to see some important principles that God teaches us about real rest, deep rest, so that we are not in a position of exhaustion physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. So we're going to jump right in. Exodus chapter 20, but before we jump in, here's what's going on in this chapter. This is where the Israelite people, the descendants of Abraham, are leaving Egypt. And they've officially left. The, the, the Egyptians are no longer in pursuit. <clears throat> and, and now, <clears throat> excuse me, and now Moses, as the leader of the Israelites, he's, he is charged with doing something very difficult. You see, these Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt for hundreds and hundreds of years, and now they are their own nation for the very first time. And so what God does through Moses is he basically creates this constitution. He creates the framework for a nation, what their morals are, what their ethics are, what kind of culture they'll have, and where their focus belongs. And through uh, what we're about to see through the Ten Commandments, <clears throat> And through several other laws and ceremonies, we get the framework for what this nation will be like. And into their constitution, God works in the requirement for rest. Now, most of the commands, the Ten Commandments, are like two words. <laughs> Don't steal. Don't murder. Like, those are pretty obvious. But when we get to this commandment about rest... God doesn't just say, take a day off. He quantifies and qualifies what true rest looks like. And that's what we're going to look at today. Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And there are three main words. If we want to understand what's at the heart of this command, the three main words are remember, Sabbath day, and holy. And the word remember is a way to basically say, this is something that is at the core of who you are. Don't let go of this. Make this a recurring event in your calendar and don't let anything take, its, take precedent over it. This is something that you will work your life around. Other things are negotiable. This is a non-negotiable. Remember the Sabbath day. Sabbath means rest. It means cease, stop, this is a day of interruption and disruption out of an otherwise normal week of work. Remember, stop. 
This is a Sabbath day, and I want you to keep it holy. The Hebrew word for holy is kadosh. And if you want to impress people this week, you know, just say kadosh. They don't know what you're saying. But kadosh, as they best figure, comes from an even ancient, uh, more ancient word, kod, which means cut. And the idea is, so this picture, you've got like this piece of fabric and you want to make something out of it. And so you do your measurements, you, get, you have your plan, which I, I hear that's what you do when you make clothes. I've never done it. But you take the fabric and you start to cut it into a very specific shape. And now that piece is set aside for something very specific. And what God is telling them to do is cut out one day from your week and set it apart for something very unique and very special. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And then he clarifies, this is what it's going to look like for you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day, it's not just a Sabbath for you. It's not just a day off. This is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, a Sabbath of the Lord your God. It's his day of rest, your day of rest. And it's more than just a physical break. It's a day of worship and remembering. And as God established this nation of Israelites, he knew one thing very specifically. They were enjoying freedom for the first time ever. Do you remember the first time you enjoyed freedom? First time you got your driver's license and your mom or dad handed you the keys and said, have fun. Oh, wow, Mexico, here I come. That first time you enjoyed freedom, where you got to pick your job, you got to do what you wanted, and no one was telling you what to do. It's that awesome feeling. You can do anything, and so you just do everything you can. You get immersed in your freedom, and you just do all sorts of stuff. And God knew that this nation would be doing this all together, millions of people, a million or two million people, all enjoying freedom for the first time, and they would be so fixated by what they did that they would forget who they were. And so it continues to this day. We can be so fixated by what we do, so fixated by daily life, the worries, the joys, the challenges, the opportunities, we can be so fixated by these things that we forget who we are. So the Sabbath was how God reminded them of who and whose they were. For six days, you can do your work. And we think that's a little bit, you know, insane, six days of working. Some of us have a four-day work week. But, but, but when you're in an agricultural farming kind of society, it's hard to take a day off. So God said, six days, you can do all your work. But the seventh, the Sabbath, Saturday, that is a day of rest. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. I want to apply what this means for us, but first I want to tell you what this doesn't mean. To see what rest is, I also want to tease out what rest is not. This is important to keep in mind, and this is something that convicted me this week. Rest is not an escape from life. So in other words, if you have a day off, if you have a weekend off, a week off, whatever it might be, I think the natural tendency, at least in American culture, is to say, oh good, I can escape the life that I have to live all the time. True rest was never designed to be an escape from life. It's an interruption from the normal 
to focus on something not normal. It's a, it's a break from the rhythm so that you can remember the greater picture. So don't view rest as an escape from life. View it as a way to invest in your life. Another thing, rest is not an excuse to let loose. All right, no responsibilities tomorrow, nothing to do for the next few days. I can let loose. I'm going to rest. That's not rest. That is destructive. That actually takes away from the progress that God has been working in you. So I just want to get those two things out of the way. Rest is not taking a break from life. It's not getting away from life. Rest is not an excuse to let loose. Let me ask you this. If you're a professional bodybuilder, and you just had a very hard workout, and you know you've got more coming up in the days ahead, what does rest look like for you? It looks like very good nutrition, lots of hydration, and lots of sleep. That is constructive rest. What their rest does not look like is going out and partying until 3 in the morning and expecting they can go back and have good results the next day. Just remember this. Rest is not an escape from life. It's not an excuse to let loose. But here's the positive. Number one, rest makes you stop what you are doing so you can reflect on who you are becoming. This was something God commanded of his Old Testament nation of Israel. This is a principle that he still invites you and me to be a part of. Rest is so important because it makes you stop, cease, interrupt what you are doing so that you can reflect on who you are becoming. And then as God is continuing to shape this Old Testament nation, and and by the way, this Sabbath day law was specifically for this nation. Um, There's a lot of other laws and ceremonies that he gave to those people that don't apply to us today, but we still get this important principle of what rest should look like, and we take that with us. And so then God goes on to say, okay, rest, I know that as soon as I say you have to take a day off, people are going to look for the loopholes and try to find a way around it. Um, There might be some business people who are like, awesome, all my competition will be closed on Saturday. I can find a way to still serve, you know, get things out. And people are thinking of ways to make an excuse. And so when God gives this command, he is very clear on what rest means and what rest looked like for them. So six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work. Then he comes up with seven qualifying statements. People who are to do no work. Neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter. Nor your male servant, nor your female servant. Both of those are different words. Nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. So you got work to do on the Sabbath. Oh, here's some stranger. He's looking for work. Maybe I'll hire him for a few hours. God says, no. This is a full and complete day of rest. So he left no question about it. And this would have been so hard for them because, again, in a farming, agricultural society, it is difficult to take a day off. I was just talking to someone last night after the the Saturday service, and they grew up on a dairy farm, and they said, you don't take a day off. There's things to do every single day. And so for them to take a day off, a, a day of Sabbath to the Lord, would have required some faith. 
In fact, I'll put it this way. It required them to be full of faith. To say, you know what? I can set aside my livelihood for a day. I trust that since God gave me this command to rest, I trust he will provide. And to this day, what godly rest looks like is godly rest will exercise your faith in God to provide. Now, what does it look like today to rest in a way that exercises faith in God? I think that's a great question that you should talk with your growth group about this week. It's one of the questions. What does it look like to rest in a way that shows your faith in God? And what does that look like for you specifically? That's the principle that we get from the Sabbath law. And God invites you to put that into practice in your own life. And then comes this final part. Here's the part where God says, for. The reason I want you to take Saturday off, have a Sabbath day, the reason I want you to keep it holy is because of this. For. In six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. He got all of his work done. But he rested on the Sabbath, on the seventh day. It's interesting that God would bake into his creation the very foundation for rest. And people have asked the question, well, why did God need a day of rest? Was he tired? No. He didn't need a, a day off. And yet, the way he created this world modeled. He didn't just command rest from his people, but he actually modeled it to us. Now, the reason God could take a day off is because everything he had Done was done. And by his own estimation, everything was very good. Day seven of creation was proof that everything was fine. God could rest. And when you trust in him, you will also believe everything is fine. And you can find rest in that. And it concludes like this. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. God himself cut out that one day in that week of, the, of creation. And he said, this is a sacred day. A day to not just be busy doing things, but to take a step back and reflect on who you are. And that's the third thing we see about rest. Sabbath rest reflects or celebrates faithfulness. And we all experience this in different ways. Uh, for me recently, how this came about is, uh, you know, we've had plenty of chances here in Minnesota recently to shovel snow. And um, yeah, it happens. It's out there. But one thing I found myself doing is, you know, after shoveling the driveway and just at the end of the shovel, just making this nice, smooth, you know, s snow mound on the edge of the driveways. And just, it looks so nice. I stood in my dining room window and just looked at the driveway. I was just celebrating my job well done. And it lasted for, what, a day, <laughs> two days. And then it happened again. Now my driveway is just horrible. I've given up. But maybe you felt that way too. You get done, you're, you've, you've done a good job, you were faithful. It, it's good. It, what you did was very good. And you step back and you rest as a celebration of faithfulness. That's what God did at the end of creation. He rested as a celebration of his job well done. And that's something he wants to be part of your life too. Rest is a way to look back and celebrate faithfulness and progress. But let's be honest. 
It's not just doing faithful things that leaves us feeling exhausted. I uh, kind of came up with a short list of things that can leave you exhausted. So you ready? So one thing that can leave you feeling exhausted is refusing to forgive. That will leave you drained. And yet for some reason we are, we can be slaves to that. Refusing to forgive someone, constantly looking for reasons to hate them and refuse to pass on to them what God gave to you. That's going to lead to exhaustion. You know what else is exhausting? Being judgmental. Maybe you feel so insecure about yourself that you have to find all the little details in other people that aren't right and you, you judge them maybe outwardly, maybe inwardly. That is exhausting, trying to find so many wrong things in other people that you feel better about yourself. You know what else is exhausting is making your identity all about what you do. And so you exhaust yourself trying to do more, do better, be perfect in every way because you've tied who you are to what you do, and that is exhausting. You know what else is exhausting is trying to determine your value based on what you have. And so you exhaust yourself working, working, accumulating, accumulating, because you're trying to find your value in what you have. Now, that's just four things. Four things that can leave us exhausted that aren't good things. And I could have made more, but making an exhaustive list about things that exhaust you is exhausting. So how should God approach people like me and people like you? When we're worn out, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And we're worn out, not because we've been doing all these good things that we are celebrating, but because we've worn ourselves thin through sin. God's patience should run out. And he does something so much better than just seeing our exhaustedness and saying, hey, I can help. I can show you how to work smarter, not harder. He could have given us all the wisdom in the world to try to arrange our lives in such a way that we'll feel like we have more margin and we feel more rested. But the Sabbath day law was never intended to be the end answer to our exhaustion. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it several years after Jesus died and rose again. He said this in Colossians chapter 2. He says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. And just to clarify, all of those things were things that people imposed on one another as a way to be religious and to be right with God. If you want to be right with God, you got to do all these things. And it was exhausting. Paul says, these, including the Sabbath day, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The Sabbath day law, a day of rest, taking Saturday off, that served a good purpose. It helped people take a break from what they did to consider who they were becoming. 
And it's still, there's value in that principle, and God wants us to see that. But ultimately, that Sabbath day law was a shadow of something greater, a greater rest that would take place. Here's what Jesus said. One day, he was looking across the crowd. He saw all all sorts of people who had all sorts of exhaustion, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, some of them not for good reasons, some of them exhausted because of their sin. And here's what he told them. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will not just give you some principles for how to work smarter, not harder. I myself will give you rest. The answer to our exhaustion is not a day off. The answer is a person. And his name is Jesus. I think of all the times that Jesus could have lost his patience. Like with Peter, you know, the great, one of the greatest apostles we now think of, Peter. So many times just got it wrong. Yet Jesus was loving and forgiving. I think of people like me, people like you. Sometimes we celebrate rest as a way to reflect on the faithfulness of the past. But sometimes we lament exhaustion because we know what caused it. When I was a kid, three, four years old, barely one of my first memories, one thing I remember was every time I got into the car and my parents were driving somewhere, I would ask them, how much gas do we have? Over and over and over. Every time I got into the car, three or four years old, how much gas do we have? How much gas do we have? How much gas do we have? Can you guess why I started asking that question? Because there was one time we ran out of gas. And we didn't have cell phones. My dad had to walk to the gas station, get a gas can, walk back, fill it up. And apparently it was a traumatic thing for my life. But for a long time, I kept asking, how much gas do we have? How much gas do we have? I was worried that what we had wouldn't be enough to get us to where we needed to be. Sometimes you feel that way. Maybe it's not how much gas do, do I have, but how much, how much time do I have? How much energy do I have? How much emotional fullness do I have? I don't know if I have enough to get me to where I need to be. And I have two things I want you to know. The first thing is you might find the strength to get you to where you want to be. Or you might not. What I can tell you is that Jesus uniquely has the power and the strength to get you to where you need to be. And when you have him, you will have enough. Now, when I was a kid, it took a lot of trips for me to hear over and over again, we have enough, we have enough, we have enough. And then finally, I stopped asking the question when I was 15 years old. I'm kidding. It was like four. Finally, I'd heard that enough. I had the trust built up that I just, I trusted One way or another, we would get to where we needed to be. And that's the beauty of resting with Jesus. Every time you rest with him, you have that chance to ask the question, Jesus, I don't know if I have enough. I don't know if I have enough. I don't know if I have enough. And over and over and over, he will tell you, there's enough. With me, there is enough. While we might not be sure of how we get to the destination, one thing we know is that we all know where we are going. 
Number four, you can rest because you know how your story ends. You know where your story ends. One day, your body, even if you face death, one day your body will be raised up together with everyone else and you will be before the throne of God in heaven, worshiping the one who gave his life for you. Jesus is enough to get you there. And because you know of how your story ends, that will give you strength to maybe just pause and to show your strength by doing nothing and resting, considering who you're becoming as you also consider who God has made you to be in Jesus. You can rest because you know how your story ends. And as you put this into practice this week, I have three things. This is what a godly rest practically looks like on a Tuesday morning, on a Thursday night, on a Saturday evening. This is what three things you can do to put into practice a godly kind of rest. When you take this moment of rest, would you first of all acknowledge what God is doing? I think when we're exhausted, we tend to focus on what we've done. We see all the good things and we take pride in it, or we see the bad things and we despair over it. Would you just take your rest and focus on what God has done, maybe what God has done through you, what God has done through others? And would you celebrate that his kingdom work is so much greater than anything you could do? God, wow, you are doing some amazing things. I don't know how I'm going to get to the end of the story, but I know what the end of my story is. Thank you for what you do. Second thing, would you apply whatever God is teaching you? Maybe in your moments of rest, you find yourself overexhausted and you say, maybe God is teaching me that I'm taking on too much. This world has one savior and it is not me. It is okay. Maybe in your times of rest, you find you've got more to give. And so you say, God, would you show me opportunities to make the most of my life for your glory? God is teaching you something. It's okay to take those moments of rest to reflect on who you are becoming. And then finally, anticipate what God is preparing. Don't use rest as a way to run away from your life, but as a way to invest in what is coming next. Because as long as God gives you life, he's got something that he's preparing for you. God, would you use this moment of rest to build me into the person you want me to be? so that I can see and be faithful with what you want me to do. It's okay to rest. God commanded it. He wants it. And you can rest because you know how your story ends. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, rest can be a tricky thing. And maybe some of us have just felt so guilty to take a break because we feel like we haven't done enough. In our moments of despair, would you lead us to to Jesus? Because the answer to our exhaustion is not in taking a break or just taking a day off, but it's in finding a godly kind of rest that only comes through him. Thank you for his faithful work for us. Even on Sabbath days, he was helping and he was healing. And in fact, it was on a Sabbath day that ultimately his body rested in a tomb for us. Draw us back to his faithful work. Draw us back to our identity in him so that we can find that moment of rest that we need so that we can live for your glory. 
Thank you for your love and your forgiveness. Continue to bless us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.